welcome with me a dear friend of ours to our community, new to North County and here at Coastline Church today, Mike Foster. Okay. All right. It is, uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning, and honestly, it is great to have the air conditioning on. Um, that was a fun night. I, I was sort of feeling... Like I was uh, one of those black Pentecostal preachers that needed to get, I was sweating up a storm. I feel like I need a little towel, bat, you know, dry my forehead. It was, it was fun. And, uh, it is, it is good to be with you, uh, Aaron and man, and just thank you. Where's the man? There you are. Um, just thank you for what you guys are doing, um, in the city and just in the lives of people. It's very powerful. And I love, I love that God is just using this community to impact lives and really, in many ways, you guys are carrying out the message of second chance to this community, the, the message of grace, of God's radical love. Um, I, I do lead an organization called People of Second Chance, and we are, we're, we're kind of new. Uh, been, been around over two years, and uh, our mission is very simple. It is, it's simply to do this, to unleash radical grace uh, in every moment, in every day, for everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your history looks like, no matter scandalized, you're, you're in, the, in the valley, whether you're on the mountaintop, we want you. And we want you to get connected to a powerful second chance experience. And we do this through two different ways. Uh, we have a very uh, robust and large online community of over 30,000 people all across the country who identify themselves as, as people of the second chance who are um, daily encouraging each other, daily supporting those who are in need, daily cheerleading the outsider and the fallen. And uh, the, other, the other part of what we do is um, what we just call one-on-one stuff, where we help people in their lives and in their comeback story, whether through counseling and coaching and through tools and resources that we create. If you want more information on that, just we have a website. Uh, called potsc.com, or you can just Google us. We'll show up. And if you're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, we're doing all that stuff too, of course. If you don't do that, you're nothing, right? Um, so I, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, one of our values, uh, a, a life mark that we call it, a mark, a trait that defines people of the second chance. And if we say, I, I'm a second chance person, I'm, I'm living out radical grace in my life, then, then this trait is, is required. And that trait is courage. I want to talk about the courageous second chance life this morning. If you have your pen, paper, or um, your, your phone, whatever you write on, if you have a Sharpie, you just want to write on your shirt or your forehead, whatever. This is the main point of this morning that I want you just to, to think about, to meditate on this week. If you forget everything I say for the rest of our time together, just remember this one point. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Let me say that again. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And Jesus wants us to live courageous lives. He really does. And so we can have very safe, simple, boring lives and live in fear and in our comfort zone. Or we can go on this adventure with God 
that will just blow our minds. It's, it really comes down to a choice of whether we, we step out and grow or we step back and live in safety. Um, I, I, I think in many ways, um, we are, uh, we probably think we're more courageous than we really are. You know, we, we probably don't really see how fear and anxiety and, or, or how comfortable we are. Our comfort sort of drives our decisions in our daily life. Uh, they did this really interesting study with men and women, and they asked them to rate their personal attractiveness. You know, like, how good looking are you? And so what they found was with the women, they had like a scale of one to 10 and they would, you know, give themselves a number, you know, 10 mean you're super hot and one being you're not. And, um, what they found was that women tended to rate themselves and their personal attractiveness lower on that scale than they really were. So they'd give themselves a lower mark and yet they were prettier than that, basically. Well, men, on the other hand, no big surprise here, guys, right? Men, on the other hand, tended to rate themselves more attractive than they really were. And I know this is true for some of you guys this morning. You, you men, you woke up, took a shower, look in the mirror, getting ready, and you're going, I am a gift, Right? I am sizzling this morning, hot, right? I, uh, I know Aaron woke up this morning and thought that. It's like, he's like, Aaron's, Aaron's looking in the mirror. He's all, Amanda is one lucky woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that it's true of, of like courage. We, we think we are more courageous. We're stepping out. We're going with God. And, and yet I think there, there's this crisis in Christianity this crisis of safety, like we've taught people and we've taught our young men and our, our young women uh, to, to live, live kind of very undangerous lives. Like the biggest thing that we, we send our, our young men to, to fight Chick-fil-A chicken wars, right? It was like, go down there and, and buy some, some nuggets and, and waffle fries and defend our sweet tea, right? That, and then our, our women, we've called our women to... These very, you know, treacherous, terrifying, quiet times, right? It's like God's going, okay, all that's fine. It's fine and dandy. But maybe there's more to the Christian life than that. Maybe he's calling us into unsafe places and dangerous places where actually our heart beats fast because of what we're about to do for God. I mean, think about it. Think about your journey. Think about your life. Think about this week. Were there any moments in this week where you said, God, I just have to be totally dependent on you right now because I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm out of my element. I'm out of my skill level. I need you. And and yet we still went forward and did it. You know, I I, I say this a lot, but but don't blame the dark for being dark. Blame the light for, for not shining on the dark. See, this is our responsibility. And you know, this is why God wants us to live courageous lives. Because there's a broken and hurting and dark world out there. And we need to go. And we need to engage. Um, I, I saw this great uh, um, video. Actually, I want to show you a couple, couple quick slides. So, bravery. We all think we're brave. We all think we're courageous. Well, there are moments where 
we are found out. And, and, and the, it, it's called the snapshot that they take of you on a roller coaster. You know, like, you're all, guys, you're all tough. I'm going to do this thing. I am going to be brave. I'm going to be strong. And yet we get pictures like this. Check this out. Mm-hmm. I can take this hill and we get pictures like this. Check this one out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or this one. I love this photo. You will too. You, okay. You, okay, let's get rid of that picture. We got to get rid of that picture. Okay. You did not think that you would wake up this morning, come to church and see a vomit picture, did you? That, that was a complete uh, surprise for you. Now, here's the deal. Though those pictures are awesome, especially the vomit one, I found a video of a dad and his daughter on a ride at Dollywood. <laughs> on a, uh, and it was called The Barnstormer. And there's this video that I want to show you right now. And you are going to see courage and bravery in action. Check this out. Dad and his daughter on the barnstormer getting ready. She's excited. He's clearly ready to go. having a good time loving this this is the greatest thing ever <laughs> and look at her face she's having a great time Show some courage here. Bravery. Do it, Dad. Come on. All right. Okay. He got through it. He's doing okay. Now, this is where he wins Dad of the Year Award. Watch a couple more seconds of this. They're going to do it again. So he's gone through it. He's done it once. It's going to be better this time. I know it. I know it. Memorial support. And here we go. All right, you get the idea. You get the idea. Oh, my gosh. I just, I've seen that video 50 times, and I just still love that. It's just so incredible. Um, here's the deal. Life is, is sort of like the barnstormer at Dollywood, right? And the life that God is laying out for us is, is something that is terrifying. And, and he's just asking, trust me. Trust me. I'm your dad. I am your fortress. I am your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your sustainer. Trust me in this. It takes courage and it takes us kind of moving out 
of our comfort zone and a place of safety. Here's the deal. I think this is true for a lot of us, including myself. Most people don't aim too high and miss it. They aim too low and hit it. I love what uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6 says in the Bible. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise right out of God's word. Or how about this? Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here's the reality. And we all know this. Do you know who wants you to live a safe life? The enemy. Satan says, listen, you just, no, I don't want you to step out. I don't want you to go into that, that dark place. I, you just keep having those, those quiet times and those, 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 uh, those worship services and all that. Just, that's great. That's fine. But, but don't risk anything. And that, that my friends, it is an amazing, amazing strategy. Don't you think? God calls us to, to be courageous. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to look at a passage in Ruth. And Ruth is one of, uh, right at the sort of the beginning of the Bible. And it's, it's an incredible book about an incredible woman who had courage. Uh, how many of you seen the movie We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon? Heard it's a great movie. Um, there's a scene that I just so love, and I think this scene describes what we're about to read in this passage. And so Matt Damon is sitting there in the you know in the We Bought a Zoo movie, sitting there on the floor with his son, and he he says this. He says, "You know, sometimes all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage, 20 seconds of embarrassing." bravery, and something great will come of it. Ruth, we're going to look at Ruth's life. And in this passage, we're going to see her demonstrate 20 seconds of insane courage. And because she did that, she stepped out in faith, believed that God had an amazing plan for her life, had courage. It changed the course of history. Check this out. In uh, verse seven, and let me give you a little background first. So here we are. We got Ruth and Naomi. They are uh, uh, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. They're both widows. Um, they were married before, and now their husbands had had died. And uh, Ruth is younger than Naomi, and uh, Ruth is taking care of her. And they are widows, and they are from the land of Moab. So they're Moabites who have now come into Bethlehem to look for work because they're poor, they're destitute. They're just trying to, to get through life, they have virtually nothing. And Ruth is working in the fields of a man named Boaz, uh, harvesting, getting grain. And so Boaz is her boss. Boaz is a man of, of, of great, you know, great wealth. He's an important man, a man of character. He's got it going on. Ruth is sort of the outsider overlooked individual. And just to give you kind of a sense of what widows wore back in this day and age, like we think of a widow in, in today's terms and it's like, Oh, okay. That's, 
that we kind of get that picture. But let me give you a different picture. A widow is kind of the, the lowest of the low on the totem pole of importance, of prominence, of privilege. They're, they're completely ignored. In fact, they're not ignored. They're taken advantage of. Um, people, people use and abuse widows because of their, their situation and all the way from, you know, taking advantage of them through work, but also taking advantage of them sexually. I mean, this is not a good, uh, title to have in this society. It's tough. And so here we go. We pick up in verse seven after Boaz, who's a man of character, a man of, of, uh, uh, of great integrity had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. So Boaz, her boss is had dinner and had, had some drinks and is now going to sleep. And he lays down on his grain cause he wants to protect his grain. And Ruth quietly comes in. And her and Naomi had talked about a plan, a plan of that, that could change the course of their lives and really change the course of Ruth's life. And so, so she, here's the moment. She goes in, she lays down at his feet. And it's important to know, too, here that this is not some sort of boom chicka moment for you know, Ruth and Boaz. It's not like, hey, baby, no, nothing like that. No smooth jazz or Marvin Gaye playing on the radio, candles, whatever, you know. This is just legit. She's just going in there. It's the only time that she thinks of like how I can connect and have a conversation with Boaz. So she goes in, she lays at his feet. Uh, Verse eight, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Yeah, you know, that would be a little surprising. Uh, Verse nine, he, uh, he says, who are you? He asked, I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. So what is Ruth saying here? Spread the covering, spread the corner of your covering over me. Basically what she's doing is she's asking Boaz to marry her. Okay. For, for all of this, for all of us who are not quite so smart, this is the bachelorette moment. Okay. This is the rose ceremony. Uh, she has the rose and she's going to Boaz and says, you know, Will you love me? Will you marry me? Will you take me to be your wife? It's a it's a an amazing moment because think about in terms of our society, that's not typically the normal way that we do matrimony, right? Guys, I mean we just have newly did did you ask her to marry you? Yes, all right, very good. Okay. Good on you. Um see that's the way it's supposed to work. It's a little odd even in today's world to uh, um, have a woman ask a man to marry her. But think about it in times of, of Ruth. Like, this is kind of odd. It's a little different. But she stepped out. She moved out of her comfort zone, had a little courage, risked her reputation, what little there was of it. She knew who she was. She was the outsider, a foreigner, just a widow. Boaz was a man of integrity and, 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 and the owner of the field. And she risked it all. So how would he react? Verse 10. That's what Boaz says. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich 
or poor. So he's flattered. He's flattered that Ruth asked this request. Verse 11. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Love that. If we were to read on in the passage, we find out that Ruth and Boaz do get married. And then they produce a son, an offspring. And and this offspring then leads to Ruth being the great-grandmother of King David, who wrote the Psalms. But not only that, Ruth is mentioned, only of only four women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. Ruth. Why? Because she had 20 seconds of insane courage. She laid it all out there and got those words out of her mouth. Will you marry me? Change the course of history. I mean, it, it's incredible to think if, if she would have said, you know what, God, maybe I am just meant to be this, this lowly widow servant working in, in a field. Can you imagine? But she stepped out in faith. I mean, any of you have a book in the Bible with your name on it? No. No. It's powerful. This is what happens when we live courageous second chance lives for him and trust him. So what can we learn from Ruth's life? Two quick things. Number one is, is that we need to have the courage to embrace our whole story. The courage to embrace our whole story. Ruth realized she was an outsider, a foreigner. She, she knew all the facts about her life. She knew how the system worked, but that didn't stop her. She went, she went and asked Boaz for marriage. She was vulnerable. She had faith. She had tenacity. She pursued him. I, I think so often um, we, we cover up our stories or we're ashamed of our stories. Or we, we're quick to, to minimize um, what God can do through us. Many believe that because of things that you've been told. And things that, that people have spoken into your life say, you know what? Because of this addiction or because of this messy divorce or because of this and that, you get to stand on the sidelines. And I'm sorry, folks, but that's just not the way Jesus works. I mean, every one of us, every one of us gets to be part of God's great plan. There's no waiting around for heaven. There's no kind of extras in God's kingdom. We all have a part. We all play a part. I uh, have a friend um, who got connected to people of the second chance. And one of the things that we do on the website is we share stories of radical grace, of, of redemption, of restoration. Um, we, we ask people to be brave with their stories so others can be brave with theirs. Vulnerability is such a key part of what God is doing in people of the second chance. And so Megan was one of these stories. And Megan was running a photography business and her, her business started to decline. And so Megan made a very bad decision. She decided to go to other photographers' websites and take photos that they had taken and put them on her website and claim them as her own, as sort of like her portfolio. Not only that, not only did she sort of steal these pictures, she then went over to these other photographer sites and stole blog posts and content and sort of created this whole fabrication of who she was as a photographer. And this was going along for a while until finally one day she was caught 
And when she was caught, she was caught red-handed. And, and the, with social media and Facebook and Twitter and a very passionate photography community, they just began to rain down hatred and judgment upon Megan. I mean, it was, it was horrible. They just anything that you can imagine you could critique someone of could critique someone over their appearance their their um, their faith their their abilities their everything was just like hell raining down on top of her and she knew she, she said she was sorry she she knew that what she was doing was wrong but that didn't matter to the to to these critics they just came and they heaped and poured this on her and, and Megan just said, I give up. I, I'm just going to go away. A few months later, we got connected to her, and, and she started to become a part of people, a second chance. And then we eventually asked her to share her story, to say, Megan, we want you to embrace your story, every part of it, even those parts that are painful, even those mistakes, I, even the things that you do, even though it may bring up painful memories. We want you to share your story. Because we, we believe that there are no lost causes in God's kingdom, and your story matters, every piece of it. She shares her story on, on the web. She embraces it bravely. And yes, those critics did come back and, and certainly brought up some of those same issues. Even though she, she said she was sorry, she asked for forgiveness, she was trying to rebuild her life, they came back and still wanted to tear her down. But she also found that there was a community of people who believed in second chances who served a God of second chances, want to stand by her and say, Megan, we believe in you, and that your story does not end in the valley. It's, it, it, was, it was powerful, but she had to embrace the whole story. There are going to be times where you're going to run across people who want to censor you. I'm going to say, you know what, those scars, those wounds, that stuff, don't, don't be that way, please, because then you're not going to get invited to the, the, the cocktail hour after, after work. Oh, please, please don't talk about that because that really makes us uncomfortable. Jesus says, you know what? I, I'm going to use that stuff, all that stuff, all those scars, wounds to help others, to help your pain connect into other people's stories. Like we love, we love hearing about people's successes. That's true. I like to hear people's wins, but you know what? We relate with people's failures. Right? We have a heart connection with struggle, not success. And so don't censor your story. Grace means that all of our mistakes now serve a purpose. Um, I, love, uh, I love the story of Monty Roberts. And Monty was a, was a kid who was growing up with his family, and they were very poor. I lived in a trailer, uh, like basically a camper shell on top of a truck. His whole family, his mom and dad, his brothers, sisters lived in this, this uh, camper. He's basically homeless. They had nothing. He was attending school and in high school. And one day he got an assignment from, a te- from his teacher to write a paper, an essay, about what you want to do when you grow up. She signed it to the whole class. They needed to turn it in a couple days. And Monty knew exactly what he wanted to be when he grew up. He knew exactly what his dream was. And so he wrote his paper out, and he wrote about how one day he hoped to own 100 acres of land where he could raise thoroughbred horses. 
have ranch hands and workers, and he could just see the whole thing, even this, in, in spite of the fact that he was had nothing and his family had nothing. So he writes the paper, he turns in the paper to his teacher, and a couple days later he gets back his essay. And on his essay is a big letter F. Failed. Monty's, Monty's doesn't understand what he did wrong, and so he goes to the teacher and he asks her, how come you gave me an F? How come you failed me? And his t- teacher, in just sort of all of her cynicism and all of her judgment and critical spirit, basically looks at him and he goes, Monty, I mean, I, I, I read your paper. It's grammatically fine. It, good, good use of the English language. But, but what you wrote is so completely unbelievable. I mean, how is any of this going to be possible? You're poor, Monty. You live in a camper with your family. How are you going to pay for the, this 100-acre ranch? How are you going to pay for those thoroughbred horses? I mean, those ranch hands, they, they need salaries. They need, they need a wage. How are you going to do that? I mean, like, this is just so ridiculous. But here's what I'll do. If you want, I will raise your grade. Uh, if you write something a little more believable, a little more doable, um, and and we, I'll, I'll raise that F up a few gra- letter grades. And I, I love Monty's response. Like, here's here's Monty facing the critic, the dream stealer, the, the person that's trying to put him in a little box. I love his response. He 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 basically hands the paper to his teacher and says, "You keep the F. I'll keep my dream. You keep the F." I'll keep my dream. A little little additional piece to that story that's that's super awesome is that Monty, this Monty who was in high school, now owns a 100-acre ranch up in Solvang, California, where he raises thoroughbred horses. I mean, this is the thing. You're going to come across people every day that are ready to judge you, who are going are gonna to critique you, we're going to say that, that your story is not important, that will make you feel small. And how you respond, whether you shrink back or you have courage, will mean the world and will change everything. God wants us to live courageous lives. Go for it. Be like money. Give back the F. Keep the dream and keep moving forward. Okay, finally, uh, the cur- uh, what we learn from his story here is also the courage to let go of our past. The courage to let go of her past. See, Ruth refused to let her past situation and all those things that she had suffered, all the things, that, the, all the struggle, all the pain, all the loss. She refused to have that define her future. She surrendered it to God. You know, so, so many of us think that the spiritual life or the Christian walk is all about sort of getting something, obtaining something. If I could just get better at sin management, if I could just, you know learn more about the Bible, then I'm going to be a good Christian. Well, you know what? All that could be part of the journey, but but really the Christian life and the spiritual life is about letting go. It's about taking all of our bad beliefs and all of our legalism and all of our self-judgment and laying it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you got to get, you got to take this. I can't, I can't do this. This is yours. And yet many of us kind of walk around with, with a brick. And this brick 
represents all of our pain, all of our hurt, and all those people that screwed us, and all those people that have hurt us, and our unforgiveness, and our bitter hearts. And we've got this stuff, and we're walking around with it every day. And yes, you can do life with a brick. No doubt about it. But we got a clenched hand. We're holding on to this thing, and it's a part of who we are. And don't tell me it doesn't impact you, because it does. I mean, and here's the deal. Jesus is saying, it's time to let go of that brick. It's time to put down the brick. And some of us, we've got, we got a backpack full of bricks. Some of us have enough bricks we could build a little igloo, right, on stage here. We get inside the igloo, and then we'll just cry for the rest of our lives. Be upset and angry and bitter and dark. Come to church, some of us, we're worshiping, and we got the brick. We're like, I love you, Jesus, and we're sound, our voices are great, and Jesus is going like, man, you are awesome down there in Coastline. But can we do something about the brick? <laughs> or you're going to sleep at night because the brick goes everywhere with you, right? Sleeping with you, and it, the brick wakes you up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and your thoughts begin to stew on all those things and all that past and all that regret and all that. And Jesus is going, guys, just just put the brick down. It's heavy, isn't it? it? It's hard carrying this around, especially if you got more than one. Or maybe you're saying, guys, come on, come on out of the igloo. It's going to be okay. But it takes courage to surrender that to God. One of the rules that we have at People of the Second Chance is we say, listen, there are no victims. There are no, no matter how horrible your life has been, no matter how horribly you've been wronged or hurt no matter what your childhood's been like or abuse all that it's like because if you're a victim that means you are completely powerless to do anything about your future if you if you see your life and you see yourself through that lens then really you're saying you know what god i'm going to control this i've got this i'm going to do something i'm just going to gut it out and saying Instead of saying, Jesus, I surrender this to the cross. I surrender this under the umbrella of grace. You, you take it. I mean, think about your hands. Are they clenched? Are you controlling everything? Are you using your, your success or your bank accounts or your skills or your talents? Just, I'm just going to control this. Are we surrendering to God and saying, God, you take it. And that takes courage. And that is hard, and that requires bravery and faith. We say, um, you know, I, the the word courage. The word courage. Part of the half of the word is core, which means heart. We let Jesus kind of get our heart and draw us into dangerous places. But the other part of that word is the word rage. And sometimes we have to get so angry about our current situation and our current circumstances that we, we finally say enough is enough. I'm going to change. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to give it to you, God. Close with this story. A guy named uh, Roy Regals. It's 1929 and it's the Rose Bowl. Biggest game of the year. It's the University of California Golden Bears versus the Georgia uh, State, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And they are, you know, the stadium's packed. It's big game. And Roy Regals is the Golden Bears' 19-year-old center. 
It's the second quarter, and Roy is on the field, and he hikes the ball to the quarterback. They start running the play, and the ball gets loose. It's fumbled. And in the, the mad dash for the ball and scrambling, everybody's diving for it. The ball ends up in Roy's hands, the center, around the 30-yard line. And Roy starts to run as fast as he can. He's hearing the roar of the crowds. The people are going crazy. He's running, you know, as fast as the center can run. He's like, hoo, 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 hoo. 69 yards in the wrong direction. His moment of glory. 69 yards in the wrong direction. The only reason he didn't score uh, uh, score for the other team was because one of his players came out of nowhere, just like was chasing him and tackled Roy on the one yard line. Okay. Team goes into the half halftime. They go in the locker room, and Roy is just devastated sitting on the floor in the corner. He's got a towel over his head and he's just crying. Coach Price, who's the coach of the, the football team, gathers up everybody, gives kind of a pep talk to the team. He's like, guys, we can play better. We can do better. Let's get out there. Let's win this one. Coach Price goes, and listen, everybody who started, all my starters, everybody who played in the first half is going to start the second half. Roy was a starter. Roy started the first half. He's the main center team goes out, runs out the locker room, and yet Roy Regals is still sitting on the floor with a towel over his head crying. Coach Price walks over to him and says, Regals, what are you doing? Get out there on the field. Did you not hear me? I said, everybody who started the first half is playing, going to start the second half. And Regals looks up with tears in his eyes and just says, Coach, I cannot do that. I can't go back out there. I can't face those fans again. I, I embarrassed myself in this university and this football team. I can't go out there. I love what Coach Price says. Looks at Regals. He says, Regals, all that may be true, but the game is only half over. Get back out there and let's play. Regals gets on his helmet, he heads out, and he has a great second half. So I don't know what your story looks like. I don't know where you're at today. You may be like Ruth, and it's you are just gutting it out, and you need a moment of courage. Say, you know what, the first half has not been great, but that doesn't mean the second half can't be glorious. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He invites us into this powerful relationship with him. I pray. I pray that you live big lives for a big God. I pray that you don't quit in the locker room just because you went 69 yards the wrong direction. I pray that you don't carry the pain and the wounds around and you try to fix it yourself. I pray that we embrace second chance lives, courageous second chance lives. And we remember every day, today, at lunch, tomorrow, at work, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. 
and Jesus wants us to live courageous lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and that you use people like us for your mission. Father, I pray that you draw our hearts, that you lead the way, that we stop saying no and we start saying yes to you. Some of you in this room right now, maybe your first courageous step is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Maybe you have never done that. Maybe it's going to take a moment of bravery here. Your 20 seconds of insane courage is right now. You pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I make you Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new heart and a new life. For some of you, maybe you've given your heart to Christ, but but you've been living a safe life. Maybe you need to be challenged right now in this moment to step out. Maybe to make a phone call to an estranged family member this afternoon. Or maybe to forgive someone that has hurt you. Maybe you need to have the courage to to go meet your neighbor and start loving on them. God, help us identify and discover areas of our life that we have failed to surrender to you. Let us be brave. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the cross, an incredible demonstration of of, um, immense courage. Thank you for your forgiveness. We love you. We give you our lives this morning. It's in your sons' name we pray and all of God's people say, amen.